The Rwando Podcast is an exploration of the unconscious and the game of life. Be sure to visit Rwando.com to get a preview chapter of my upcoming book, Infinite Play, and free access to my content library. Enjoy the show. And we are live. Good morning, good evening, everyone. Today's another episode here on the Rwando Podcast in the Masculine Underground Group. Um, and today we're speaking about the abundance model. We're speaking about moving from a scarcity reality into that of unshakable abundance. And this was voted on in the Masculine Underground Group. It got an overwhelming number of votes compared to the other suggested topics. Um, so I'm excited to talk about this. And it was kind of resonant. It's, it's funny, the, the voted on topics in the group, every other week I put in um, a poll um, the last two weeks, it's kind of been synchronistic that the high, most highly voted topic is something I just was like working on or, or speaking about in my life. Like last week, um, people voted on the nice guy syndrome one, and I just spoke with Dr. Michael Pariser. Um, this time, people voted on abundance, and I just uh, taught a class on abundance and the abundance model, which I'm going to speak about today, um, to my friend Carolyn Elliott's uh, Wealth Mastermind. So uh, quick announcements. Um, actually, uh, the one thing I'm going to plug is a totally free thing i just if, if if this episode resonates with you if you want to learn more there's a free site it's a public service site where you can learn more about the procedure i'm going to share with you it's called the abundancemodel.org um it's made by a guy named matt Cohn. it's um a suggestion of stuff you can do with your resources he speaks mostly about money and i'm mostly going to talk about money as an example in this episode although i think these principles um, apply to any kind of resource. Anything that you feel scarce about, whether it's love or attention, sex, validation, respect, inspiration, um, you can apply this framework to those resources as well. Of course, money is easier to talk about because you can quantify it. So most of my examples in that this episode will um, deal with money. Um, another quick announcement, on Thursday we have a great episode coming out with Victoria Redbard. She's a Tantra educator from the UK, uh, from Australia, lives in Australia. We speak about different paradigms, uh, about society, masculine, feminine stuff. It was very fun and good. We also speak about um, somatic things to do with business. There's a little bit of relation to what we're talking about today. And that's it. You guys probably know the rest of my stuff that's out there. Um, so the abundance model, and what the abundance model is, is a method of managing resources. It could be money, it could be anything else, in a way that puts you into a reality of abundance. And um, I will speak a little bit, I'm going to try to stay as grounded as possible and connect both the internal psychological experience with real material reality because this is something that, this is not law of attraction, foo-foo, think positively stuff. Um, I feel very confident in what I'm speaking about and like it'll actually increase uh, the abundance of material of abundance of resources in reality. However, there will be a point where I, it gets beyond my ability to prove things to you and I'm going to have to go off of anecdotal evidence and what some may consider to be magical thinking. And if it gets to that point when you're listening to this episode in your mind of like, I don't know if I can buy that, the one question I want you to ask yourself uh, just to go back to, is what is an unshakable reality of abundance worth to you? Or you can even quantify that. Like, how much would you pay to be in an unshakable reality of abundance? Because um, it's as we know, abundance is not about the amount of resources you have, right? And um, it's about living in a reality where you trust the future. So on that, I wanted to actually define 
um, abundance and scarcity from a psychological perspective, but also from a real perspective, right? So, um, good afternoon, everyone who's listening. Um, we know that when it comes to abundance, it's not about number of dollars, right? Like we can imagine, you probably thought about this before, I've heard of this before, there are millionaires who live in scarcity, meaning that they may have a lot of a lot of money compared to other people, but they are fearful about losing it. They are worried about money, they're thinking about money. There are people who live in indigenous societies where money's not really a thing, where they all live off of the land, they live in communal environments where they uh, look out for each other and provide for each other. If someone needs something, the community provides for them. They have uh, uh, objectively far less money, but they live in a, a reality of abundance because they don't really worry about it, which is why you know, if you, if you travel to uh, locations where there just not, is not a lot of money circulating, usually communal tribes where they live off of the land or communal environments where they live off the land, those people tend to be very generous, right? Um, this has been noted by a lot of Westerners who travel through Nepal or through South America. They come across these, these people and uh, the people are just offering them food and offering them wine and offering them whatever uh, in a way that you would never see in the West, even though people in the West have hundreds or thousands more in, in monetary wealth. So we know that it's not about the amount you have. Uh, scarcity, uh, of course, is a, is a fear of that. So the way I would define this for our practical use is that abundance is a trust in the future. When someone is living in a reality of abundance, they trust, they have some level of faith, if you want to call it that, that they'll, their needs are going to be taken care of. Um, so they don't have to do something that would come from scarcity, scarcity being a fear of the future. So before we go deeper in the definition, we know the experience. I'm sure all of us know the experience of both. We've experienced both at certain moments in life. If you're in a reality of scarcity, maybe it's not because you have not enough money or not enough anything. It's that, let's say you're afraid of losing your job or you're afraid that like a big medical bill has come in. It hasn't actually drained your bank account yet, but you're now in this fear that, oh shit, I might not have enough next month. It's not that I don't have enough in this moment, it's that I might not have enough next month. Actually, most people, when they actually um, have the bad thing happen to them, again, using money as an example, let's say um, you take a big hit or like, you know, COVID tanks your retirement account or whatever, you know, stuff like that. Often, once you actually experience that loss, you're no longer in that same fear because the worst has happened. And that, that actually is less of an emotional drain as opposed to fearing the thing happening. Right? This is the thing, this is the lens I want us to understand reality, uh, sorry, abundance and scarcity, is that it's partially a subjective experience and it's, it's a fear of the future rather than a trust in the future. And why this matters is that um, when we're in this reality, no matter whether the, the fear is real or not, because um, some fears are real, of course, uh, whether or not we actually have the money or the love or not, um, living in this scarcity reality where our mentality is of scarcity or abundance, actually affects our real behavior. So if you've ever really worried about money, perhaps you were tempted to cut corners on something. Perhaps you're tempted to be cheap or to maybe even screw someone over in a business deal or like steal a little more for yourself or do some um, uh, not exact accounting for yourself. Or I think this happens a lot with men with um, sex. Because I think no matter how much ass you're getting, most men in society uh, live in scarcity when it comes to sex. I know a lot of guys in the pickup community, and I, you know, I bring this up a lot. They've slept with hundreds of women. They still live in, live in scarcity 
with women. They still feel like there's not enough. They have this hungry ghost. So what happens is when they're in the presence of a woman, their their natural being contorts in a way where they're like trying to get her, get in with her. They're trying to be sneaky. They're trying to modify themselves and not be true to themselves because they are willing to compromise higher virtues in order to get this resource, which we only do when we fear the future, right? Like if you uh, have no prospect of getting food, so you're in a reality of scarcity when it comes to food, you might eat out of the garbage, right? You might um, do anything. You might, you know, push over an old lady to get that food if you really think you're going to starve to death. Whereas if you can trust that, okay, I'm a little hungry right now, but I know there's a sandwich for me at home, you're not going to do something weird to get that sandwich, right? So that's the difference between scarcity and abundance. Abundance is a trust in the future. And to like relate this to, say, sexuality, most... Um, most, let's say, the Me Too violations, uh, that, that kind of thing, or, or violations in sex, almost always, actually, I'd say always come from that man living in scarcity, right? He didn't believe that him taking it easy and like just being himself and relaxing and listening to her signals will get him laid, the thing that he wants. He didn't trust that. So out of fear of the future, fear that she was going to get rejected or the pussy will get withdrawn or something like that, he needs to do something sneaky to like, um, force her into bed or trick her into bed. And um, we know that almost always leads to something negative in the future. So going back to the question, what is an unshakable reality of abundance worth to you where you no longer have to fear the future? That's like the real psychological implication. It's not about how much money you have, although I do believe everything we're gonna talk about today will increase your wealth, will increase your attractiveness, especially if you're in scarcity with women. Um, and you can apply this to any intangible resource as well. So first, next I should say, a story. Um, how I came across this, I'm gonna use money as an example. If you've been listening to these episodes, um, if you caught my episodes about when I was in a sex cult, um, you may have heard of my story. Uh, briefly, I, I went in on this spiritual journey because I was in scarcity of a lot of things. I was in scarcity of my purpose. I was in scarcity of validation. It was a scarcity of a lot of uh, intangible resources, also in scarcity of, of money because I didn't really know what to do with my life in a way that I felt good about making money. Um, so I, I went on the spiritual journey, which I covered in those episodes. I left in a ton of debt, a ton of debt, not really, I was unemployable. Um, I had a lot of trouble. Uh, I had a lot of like, I had a bad taste in my mouth when it came to personal development because I was in, a, in an organization where they did a lot of unethical things out of scarcity with money. So for a while, I became an Uber driver. I just wanted nothing to do with like anything, uh, you know, anything that could possibly be deemed spiritual or, or development because I had a really bad view of sales when it came to that stuff. Um, but then I, I ended up uh, partnering with an old friend. It's kind of like my, uh, this is Buddhist concept of your past merits come to save you. And actually, it was, uh, it was uh, Brian from Fearless. Uh, I know, I think a lot of, those who are in the group uh, came here through Fearless. Um, Brian through Fearless like hit me up and he invited me to help out at one of his workshops and he re-inspired me to get back into coaching. Like I, I forgot that I loved it. I forgot it was a great way to help people. That gave me a lot of purpose. But anyway, I partnered with another guy. Um, we, we launched an online product. We did it in a way that I felt really bad about it. Like we did all these kind of like, they, they felt inauthentic and we ended up making a lot of money. But I felt so shitty afterwards. I felt so crappy. And I remember we made this, we did this one webinar, we made like 20K, which is like more than I've ever made in a day uh, at that point. And I felt so shitty. And I remember thinking, man, if this is the way to make money online, it is not worth it. 
I didn't know Brian got married. Interesting. Someone just commented that. Um, who knew? Um, I just I felt so shitty uh, that I was like, this feeling is not worth it. I, I would rather give the money back because the feeling, I mean, I don't care. The feeling is not worth it. Because again, we're talking about our subjective reality, which has a real effect on our lives, right? Like what is, what is your money for, right? Your money is for buying things and supporting yourself and providing security so you don't, you don't feel shitty. But if in order to get the money or get the love or get the sex, you need to give away your good feelings and exchange it for bad feelings, well, that's ultimately like, that's, that's not a, a positive investment, right? Anyway, fast forwarding a while, um, I found, uh, I, I ended up in Thailand, I ended up uh, getting back into coaching in a way that I felt was more ethical. I was making less money because I decided to not do these marketing tips that, that felt shitty uh, to me, um, at least the way I had been doing them before. And I, I met this guy named Matt Cohn on a retreat. It was actually at a Montauk Chia retreat. I went to Thailand. I'd saved up uh, whatever I needed. I was still a little bit in debt, so I was still financially uh, troubled. And actually, funny enough, I was very aggressively paying off my debt, but I had, as soon as I got to Thailand, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live really cheap. I'm going to pay off my debt. I got hit with a, a legal fee from this, um, this lawyer that said, like, if you don't pay us $500 a month because of something you did with your debt, we're going to take you to court. So I had all these expenses. I was in scarcity again, right? Um, and I met this guy named Matt Cohn in the pool. He was talking about Bitcoin and stuff. And he shared with me what is called the abundance model. And... Um, Basically, he said, I'm not saying this is what I say that you should do, but this is something that you could do. And if you want to learn more about it, you can go to the abundancemodel.org. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, but he was like, uh, what he does is um, every time he makes money, he puts 30% away. So he lives on 70%. And uh, of that 30%, uh, one-third, so 10% goes to a fund uh, for people in need. 10% goes to causes he believes in. And 10% goes into magic, which is like um, things he can do for the world anonymously that increase abundance for other people, right? And he was just saying, I learned to live on 70%. And what I've noticed, um, this, this you know, came to him in a, in a vision or whatnot. Um, he's a very practical guy. He's also very wealthy. Uh, it came to him, uh, his 70%, as he started doing this, we started allocating 30% to other things. His 70% started to grow and grow and grow and grow. So now his 70% that he lives on is way bigger than his previous 100%. And now he's giving a lot to charitable causes and people in need and magic. And, and he said, this is, what, this is how it works. Um, before or after tax, I'm not sure. I think after, after probably after tax. Um, although he could probably write a lot of these things off. We'll talk about the specifics later. Don't worry about the percentages. I just want you to think about the concept. Uh, he learns to live on less of what he gets um, and actually, the way he perceives it is that money comes into him from whatever income sources, and uh, 30% is not actually for him. 30% is for uh, his ability to distribute on behalf of the universe. This is his language, not mine, but just get this concept. And he said, everyone who does this, um, their 70% grows beyond their 100%. And I'm like, okay, you know, this is a nice idea. Sounds a little law of attraction-y. I mean, I, I like the idea of karma, but I don't know that I can really buy into it, especially, you know, I have all these bills. I'm not making a ton of money. I'm very worried, whatever. Um, but I decided to start trying it in a very small way. I started allocating 10% of my income to a separate checking account. I called it the magic fund. Um, slowly, that checking account, you know, uh, grew. One was at like a couple hundred bucks. I did what he suggested, which is like the most fun and easy thing to do, is I went into a restaurant uh, I told the I told the hostess like oh hey those tables over there they're my friends I want to pay for their meal secretly don't tell them and I just paid for their meal and I walked out of there and 
I walked out of there with a big shitting grin on, right? I didn't see their reaction. I would never, ever meet those people. But I felt like I robbed a bank. Like, I felt like I got away with something uh, really cool that was completely selfless. And it didn't feel like I was wasting my money because I had been allocating this money separately for mine. So, like, this money was never for me. It was for me to spend on other people. It's like I had this, um, I was like the steward of this trust fund that I could spend on other people. And I felt so good. I felt, I felt so amazing. I did, I did little things like this. And um, later on, I ended up doing my own first product launch. I ended up making way more money than I did back in the unethical days. And I ended up not only paying off my debt, um, I ended up buying my first home here in Thailand. Uh, and I'm just saying this just to give you the result, right? The best I can do when it comes to the karmic stuff is give you anecdotes. And um, over the last couple of years, I've, I've had ups and downs with it. You know, where I, I've, I've still fallen into scarcity, especially when I have big bills or like income's a little down. Um, but if I look back at the last uh, two and a half years, almost three years since I learned this, um, the times in my life where I was practicing this of like some percentage of my income goes to other people, uh, I, and I, I decide that before I keep it for myself so I learn to live on less, I've lived in a reality of abundance. In times that I didn't, I lived in a reality of scarcity. Now, uh, I'm not talking about dollars and cents here. I'm talking about my experience of life was going back to our definition was when I was practicing this, I had a full trust in the future. And we can, we can look into it and like, is it a sense of deservedness? Is it a sense of um, uh, just trust that's gonna come back to me? I mean, you can apply magical thinking on top of it to, to justify it if you need to. But what I was buying in those, in those I was actually purchasing something by putting 10% uh, of my income away, that's what I started with, 10%. I was buying the experience where I get to trust the future where I get to not feel like I don't deserve or I don't need to worry because, you know, this might be completely a mind trick, a self-fulfilling prophecy, confirmation bias, name your whatever. Um, but I didn't fear the future. I felt like fully sure that if I'm doing this, how could I ever starve? How could I ever not have enough when I'm doing this? When I, when I get to delight in making other people happy with my ability. And honestly, one thing that made it easier for me was living in a third world country, most of the, you know, I'm, I'm in Thailand half the year. And seeing that, you know, what's $100 to me can be like such a huge difference for, for a Thai local here. Like, it's so worth it. It's so worth it for me to spend the money, right? I'm, I'm not going to try to convince you beyond that, but I'm just saying it feels really good. And as opposed to when I've been cutting corners, when I've been like hoarding wealth for myself, I start to distrust the future. And um, if you caught the episode on uh, compulsive behavior and porn addiction, we're actually going to go to a very similar um, principle, which is why I was so eager to talk about this. Um, I spoke about when compulsive behavior, people with addictive behaviors are usually in a reality of isolation. They feel they've taken on the consumerist agenda, which I'm going to talk about in a second, that we're all separate pods. We're all, all out in, in reality for ourselves and we all have to, at best, we can negotiate with other people so that we have enough wealth to take care of ourselves, right? Um, consumerism has broken up the tribal environment so that we don't have to rely on each other, have this interdependence. Instead, we're all isolated pods, all hoarding our own bank accounts, and um, uh, we just need enough money to, to survive. That leads to addiction and it leads to a lot of existential crises because when we're, like, it's so unnatural for the human brain to be isolated, which is why solitary confinement is such a, a, a a, a terrible punishment for people because if we don't get to feel connected to people, we feel shitty, we go into addiction cycles, we, we, we do self-harm, we have these spiritual maladies by feeling separate. By doing this, by uh, making sure that I'm feeding other people with whatever resources I have available, it's almost impossible feel, to feel disconnected. 
you know, I spoke about um, doing things that allow you to feel oxytocin to get over porn addiction because most guys who like they're isolatedly jerking off, like they're just hoarding dopamine for themselves. They end up like their their psyche ends up twisting in a way where they now no longer feel the ability to be connected to women or connected to people. It's like they become like this golem who's like out for their own precious, right? Um, this is one thing that you get to do with uh by connecting to the collective right this experience of connecting to collective is so critical for mental health for feeling purpose and i would actually argue i'm going to speak about men at the, the end of this episode i think it is critical for accessing your masculinity because so many functions of testosterone are only personally rewarding when you use it in service for other people like building hunting fighting enemies i'll, I'll get into that later so um, I also, I've been speaking about this a lot, the whole um, Timothy Leary's um, uh, Eighth Circuit Model of Consciousness. Uh, scarcity, anxiety, isolation, um, all comes on the infant level of consciousness. Um, and, and I've spoken about this a lot. Men especially, but I think most adults, the millennial generation and younger especially, with the internet and all that, we've been infantilized by society. Uh, the consumerist agendas of society become more and more heightened. I'm not saying that there's like a secret Illuminati trying to push consumerism, but the system we live in is a consumerist society. We all live on money. Uh, I'm not going to get into like the economic theories of that. But consumerism as an idea requires us to feel not enough. Because if you feel like you have all your needs met, like truly on a deep level, you don't need to spend money to buy things, right? Uh, advertising, I would argue higher education, um, all of these rackets get us to spend more money to feel incomplete, whereas nowadays most young adults don't feel like they're enough if they don't have um, a liberal arts degree or a master's. I mean, I don't want to pick on, I mean, many degrees are really not necessary. Uh, kids go into debt, or, or actually men and women go into debt thinking they're still kids, still thinking that, oh, at 25, I'm still a child, mother complex stuff. Um, and they need to spend more money in education in order to be complete. They need to buy more products. This is the whole Fight Club thing. Like the Edward Norton's character keeps needs to buying shit, buying shit, buying shit. He's in that IKEA catalog, like getting all these things, trying to one day feel complete, but he never feels complete. It's just like jerking off the porn. He's getting that dopamine of like, oh, I have the new gadget, but he doesn't actually feel connected to the collective. So what what happens in the Fight Club parable? Um, he he loses his shit. He has a psychotic break. He starts a Fight Club breaks everything down to zero. Why? Because at least in Fight Club, he gets to feel like he's serving other people. He gets to feel connected to other people, if only through punching people in the face. Anyway, um, so consumer, the consumerist agenda needs us to feel, uh, consumerism requires us to live in a, uh, in a reality of scarcity, because if we actually feel abundance for a second, we don't need to buy the thing. Which goes back to the practical side of it, and you'll use money, it's the easiest example. Um, you know, when in moments of my life where I was most worried about the future, uh, when it came to money, but really when it came to everything, um, I spent the most on frivolous things. Because when you feel like you're not enough, you feel like, okay, I, I don't feel good enough to do my work. I need to buy another expensive latte. I need to buy another thing. I need to buy another shirt. If I buy this $50 shirt, I'll feel good enough. Obviously, you don't think of this, uh, you know, uh, consciously, usually. But a lot of times if you look at when you're buying things, it's because it's you're trying to fill a need that's not necessary. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy things or you shouldn't own stuff. I like to have nice things. I think everyone should like try to own their own home and we'll talk about that later. But uh, a lot of frivolous expenses come from actually feeling scarcity. I gave this talk um, to this group, of, it was mostly women um, in, this, in this class I was te guest teaching at. 
And um, one of my friends was actually in the class and she admitted that, uh, you know, the time zone was different. She was actually uh, buying $70 sushi while listening to the class while worrying about her debt, right? Because she felt like I need to buy the $70 sushi. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy nice dinners ever, but again, my point is we tend to overspend when we live in a scarcity reality because we think uh, it, it actually goes back to like the whole pr uh, purpose thing where like men who are people, I should say, but I think this is very true for men uh, who f are afraid that they're not going to win the challenges of life. They choose not to play, right? It's, it's almost, a, it's, I think it's a similar principle where like, I don't think I can have enough or I don't think I can make enough for myself. So I'm going to overspend to get my needs met. It's all like infant level consciousness of like, let me cry for mommy to take care of me, which is, um, which is not how you want to be as an adult. Uh, I say this a lot. I mean, biologically, we're supposed to be adults around puberty or shortly after puberty. Nature has let us know you are grown enough to father a family, young 15 year olds. Uh, I mean, obviously the brain develops more, but like the idea that a 29 year old is still considered a kid is crazy. Right? The idea that uh, people of my generation uh, call basic life skills adulting as if it's like this thing that's weird shows how our normalization of of, of uh, responsibility has shifted that even at 30, a lot of guys don't think, a lot of people don't think that they're mature enough to handle their own shit. This is like terrible consumerist propaganda which keeps us in scarcity and I think makes us live in a poorer reality. So um, if, if consumerism begets isolation, which begets addiction and begets feeling like you can't handle life enough, you're not enough, um, abundance is the opposite of that. Uh, so I just said, uh, just to finish that thought, market forces evolved to, um, to become more of themselves. So I don't necessarily think there's Illuminati out there trying to force us to be scarce, although maybe it is true. Maybe there is a deep state and you know, the 1% is probably are pulling all the strings, but this is something that you can control yourself. Like this is different than, I'm not trying to get in an activist agenda where I'm saying like, take down the Fed or like bring us down to anarchy. I'm saying this is something you can actually shift in your own life to incentivize other people around you, but even if they don't buy into it, like I'm, I'm, you know, this episode maybe will be listened to by a thousand people. I'm sure many of them will not actually change their lifestyle because that's how people are. But a couple of you might, and we can slowly make the the world a better place, or at least you can make your reality more abundant. Um, okay, so another take on abundance, you know, if abundance is trust on the future, uh, that's like the psychological experience. Uh, in more material sense. Uh, abundance is the experience of the cup runneth over, right? It's, ha it's like having more to fill your cup than you actually need. Like the cup is your needs, right? So, uh, so with like a Matt Cohen's suggestion with what to do with my money, he's like, if you can shrink your expenditures so that you are forcing yourself to have more than you need, right there, that's abundance, right? If, you, if I have more than I need to cover my food and rent and whatever, I'm good. Um, I, I would say the same thing with um, sex because most guys live in sexual scarcity. Um, if you know you have more options uh, than you need, right? Like your your sexual appetite is X number of experiences in a week and you have an opportunity for X plus two, then you no longer have to feel like you need to connive or um, uh, what's the word? Uh, abandon yourself in order to get laid, right? Um, and actually I, a mini story on this. I, I recognize that I had experienced, uh, I had reached abundance with women, not when I reached a certain number of women that I've been with, but when I got to the point where, uh, this is actually a mini story in my book, where a woman that I had been very attracted to for a long time uh, 
basically kind of like offered me sex in a way like she was like let's hang out which you know you meant you know meant that and I realized in myself that I didn't feel like doing it in that moment I kind of want to just go home and read a book and go to sleep and but I was almost like drawn into natural impulses to just say yes because my entire life up to that point I think is maybe 25 or 26 um, I live in such scarcity when it came to women that any opportunity to possibly get laid with an attractive woman I would have said yes to and I look back at my I, I had this moment where I look back at my entire life of like all the nights that I stayed out too late, uh, had the extra drink I didn't mean to, went to the party or followed a group to a party that I didn't really want to go to, um, ruined my sleep the next day, just at the possibility that maybe I would have sex with a given woman. Um, all those times came from this fear that if I didn't do that, I didn't know when the next time I would get it would be. And it didn't even matter. Like there have been phases in my life where I was going out a lot and like meeting a lot of women. I still did all those things because of scarcity, as opposed to recognizing, hey, if I really know that I'm attractive, if I really know that I have opportunities for sex or for intimacy or whatever, I don't need to ever abandon myself for a given experience. So in that moment, I said, no, thank you. And it was like something clicked in my head. It was like, oh, I don't actually need to bend over backwards for a woman's validation anymore. I had achieved what is actual abundance. And it didn't, it didn't, had nothing to do with how much I was having sex. Cause as I mentioned, I know a lot of guys who've been with a lot of women, um, who still live in scarcity, like every opportunity. And you can, you can tell like they're always bragging about it. They always want to talk about it. They always want to like scheme and like they, they make their entire plans of where they might meet women. They, they change their life course just that for the opportunity at sex. And it was just a terrible way to live. It's like um, you don't get to be yourself. Anyway, so if abundance is a cup runneth over, um, there's two ways to hack it, right? Um, you can reduce the cup. That's like the obvious thing. Um, but I, I don't, I'm not trying to propose to you that everyone should live cheaply. That's not, that's not what I'm getting at. Um, it's just the idea of like, if you can trust that your next meal is going to come, you don't need to eat the extra thing. And like, um, Jocko Willink has this example when he's talking about diet. Um, a lot of guys who are like, okay, I'm going to stop eating carbs. They'll, or I'm going to stop drinking beer. They'll still eat the carbs or drink the beer if it's offered for free. Cause usually like what is offered for free at, at, at events, cheap beer, uh, and bagels and stuff, right? And he was saying something like, um, are you that cheap that you're, you have to eat this bagel just because it's free, right? Like if you've decided that you don't want to eat bagels, then don't eat bagels. And I'll speak for myself, like I recognized a while ago that drinking or frequent drinking is just not good for me. Like I, I don't typically have that much fun when I'm drunk, not that I never drink, but like, but I would still drink for a while if I was at an event and they had free alcohol, right? Um, which is kind of a silly thing. That was like pure scarcity mindedness of like, because it's free, I'm going to do this thing I wouldn't normally do, which is not what you should do. Um, it's kind of like going back to the addiction stuff. Um, if you know that the world is full of berries, you don't need to engorge yourself with berries. If you know that there are more donuts to eat, you don't need to stuff your face with donuts till you're sick, right? All of those behaviors come from a, a, a distrust in the future. So anyway, uh, first thing to hack this abundance uh, cup running over is to shrink your cup. You know, if you have $1,000 coming in and you force yourself to live on 700, obviously there's more than fits in the cup, beautiful. The other thing is to actively pour out of the cup, right? I know this is this kind of ruins the analogy because I mean the cup is not a finite thing, but if you prioritize um, giving some of what you have control over to other people to where it might have a greater impact, you are forcing into your subconscious the idea that you already have enough for yourself. So with money, this goes back to what uh, Matt suggested, the whole abundance model thing, is if you are declaring to the universe, to put it in spiritual terms for a second, if you're declaring to the universe, okay, 
X percentage of my income is going to go to people in need, right? So I'm not thinking of it as like, this is my money, right? I'm not an isolated individual. It's like, there's all this money in the world, all this resource is like flowing around. You know, some people have more access or more control over more of it than others, right? Um, you know, your bank account is the amount of uh, uh, universal wealth that you have control over, right? Like you can't control what's in my bank account, but you can control what's in your bank account. If you declare to the universe, okay, 10% or 30% or whatever is going to go to other things, um, you're forcing yourself to pour it over. Uh, Matt's idea, this is a bit of a karmic idea, is that the universe is going to give you more to distribute, right? Because like his, uh, one of his lines is, um, the universe is like a lazy multi-level marketer, right? The universe wants to distribute wealth to the world, but it can't like go around doing it to each person. But if you declare to the universe that, okay, 30% of my income is going to go to other places, the universe will give you more, so there's more 30% to give out. Um, I know that takes a little bit of magical thinking. I'm not saying you to, I'm not telling you to uh, buy it on first glance, but just take that as an idea. Um, so by pouring it over, and this can look in non-money things, like if you get to the point where, let's say with women, um, where you are putting some energy into helping your friends get laid, uh, if you are putting some energy into helping another person learn a certain skill uh, that you are learning yourself, um, it forces you to have more. And, and just with skills, you've probably heard this a million times, the best way to learn something is by teaching it. Right? If you are giving this information to other people, it's like it, it like comes into you more. I know this is like, just, just view this as a model, right? If you're helping your friends get laid, uh, it's going to be very hard for you to feel not deserving or sabotage yourself when you have an opportunity to be intimate with a woman. It's like this kind of like switches something in your experience where if I'm going on my way to give this to other people, then obviously I have a surplus. And, um, and I'll say like when it comes to my own business, I, I've spoken about this um, on the podcast and the intro sometimes is like I go into these places where like I'm kind of grossed out by what a lot of people do in personal development and blah, blah, blah. But um, what brings me back is knowing that when I'm really giving to other people, when I'm really benefiting other people, I just feel so fucking good. I, that in itself is worth it to me. Um, so, so who cares? Who cares if like, even if karma is all bullshit and all of this is confirmation bias, it's fine because you're buying experience of, wow, I feel excited to engage with reality. Because the opposite, when a person is feeling isolated, anxious, fear of the future, it's like, you know, okay, I'm supposed to go to the gym. I said I was going to write this ebook. I just need to spend an hour writing it today. But you really feel undeserving. You really feel afraid of the future. You're afraid of how things are going to be received. It's kind of hard to like get into the enthusiasm of it, as opposed to when you have purchased that feeling of deservedness. It's really hard. Like so, I get trolled a lot. I'm not a lot, but I get a fair number of trollings, and I I uh, get kind of mean direct messages periodically. Um, sometimes because of the stuff I say on sexuality that you know triggers certain snowflake type people, but more recently it's because of like my cult stuff. I talk about cults in kind of an objective way. I share some positive things and negative things, and especially some of the shows I've been on where they edit it in a certain way. I kind of look like an asshole. So on my Instagram, I sometimes get the, like, these really scathing messages from people about like, oh my god, blah blah blah. And like when I'm uh, living in a way just for myself, those messages really like hurt. Like, I mean, it puts me in anxiety and then like, I, 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 it's easy for me to take things on negatively. Whereas when I'm living for other people, someone could say the meanest, most biting thing. And it's just like, I trust my future. Like, I don't feel disconnected. Like, I feel so good that how could this, this, this uh, reality that I'm an asshole possibly be real? Um, so that's what you're purchasing. Um, and then uh, just to put things in material terms for a second, 
Um, these are ideas from Charles Eisenstein, who wrote the book Sacred Economics. Um, in the world, there is actually more resources than our needs for people. It's our distribution is fucked up. This goes to the tragedy of commons and like prisoner's dilemma and other things that I may get into at the end of this episode. It's kind of nerdy stuff, but I love it. Um, in the United States, there are six vacant homes for every homeless person. Uh, throughout the world, we produce way, way, way more food than there are starving people. The, the problem is not that there's not enough in the world. The problem is a misdistribution of, of resources. And I'm not trying to get on this anarchist bent. I'm just saying like, there is enough in the world. It's like we're not like law of attracting things into, you know, we're not trying to like make diamonds appear. It's like there actually is already more than enough. It's about how we distribute it that allows us to live in material abundance or not. And this is an opportunity to, um, to, to, to control this part of your reality. So like some people get on my case because I don't engage with politics directly because like a lot of that back and forth stuff, whether it's important or not, I can't do anything about it, right? I feel bad about a lot of things that are going on in the States, but like, I can't like, me worrying about it or yelling at someone about it is not gonna fix something. What I can do is like share information and share my, I, 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 have, I personally have control of certain resources, you have control of certain resources, a certain number of dollars, a certain wealth of information, a certain ability of energy to make people feel good, um, and you can control that and you can affect your reality that way and like that bottom out, uh, Economics is more sustainable in my worldview. Um, someone said it's not uh, it's not nerdy. All right, I'll, I'll talk about game theory at the end. Some people get some people can't handle can't handle some numbers, but um, oh, oh, so all right, so one one story is this this is a, another place where before I even learned about the abundance model, like it, it nailed in my head. So it was when I was in the cults, I was like twenty grand in credit card debt, something like that, and. Um, and I was worrying about, I had this idea in my head for a long time, like I'm a white collar bum. Cause like I have all the, my, my, my net worth was like negative 20 grand, uh, something like that, negative 19 grand. Um, and all these homeless people are in New York City, I lived in New York, all these homeless people, their net worth is zero. So I actually have a, on paper, I'm worth less, you know, worth less, I mean, not actually worth your dollar amount, but um, this is another thing that you have to get in your head to get out of uh, scarcity. But I'm worth less than most homeless people in New York. And I'm worrying about money. I'm like, how am I get out? Get out of 20 grand in debt. I'm not making a lot of money. And um, I was also on the sales team for this cult where I was trying to like get people to spend money. And it was like, that, that's a whole other thing. Um, but I came across this young woman who was homeless. Uh, she had just been kicked out of her. Uh, you know, she had an abusive boyfriend. She was kicked out on the street. She had no family, and she was asking for for money. And she was just she was hungry. And I was like, this girl probably has a higher net worth than me, but. I live in a nice apartment, you know, I'm spending, I'm going deeper into debt to live in the apartment, but I live in a nice apartment, I have a credit card because a part of consumerist, the consumerist agenda is they keep giving you, uh, giving you credits, so you end up in debt, whether it's uh, financial institutions, uh, credit card companies, uh, I'd say Western education is kind of ridiculous, uh, the way that they garnish people's wages and trick kids into, anyway. Um, but I had access to credit, I was like, well, I could actually, me going a, a little bit more into debt, like $10 more into debt, I can allow this girl to not be hungry today. So that was like kind of a crazy thing for me to not buy her a burrito. So I bought her a burrito and you know, whatever, I felt good about it, I never saw her again. Um, but 
I suddenly felt not not undeserving. And this is like kind of a weird, this is like a, a dark ending to it. Because I felt so deserving, I ended up selling uh, some other person on like 20 grand in course sales, which ironically, and I'm not, not bragging about this, I feel bad about this, put her into debt. But anyway, it, it gave me such a feeling of deservingness that I suddenly had no blocks into receiving money. Not that I received that money, I was giving it to the cult because I was all brainwashed, partially brainwashed. But um, that experience, like, uh, your dollar amount is not actually what directly affects your experience of reality. That's why I wanted to get into your head. Okay. Spoke about uh, universe as a multi-level marketer. Okay. So when it comes back to your reality, with every action, are you feeding scarcity or are you feeding abundance? Because uh, here's now where it becomes subjective again. Uh, we all have a personal mythology. I speak about the hero's journey quite often. Uh, we have this experience where we challenges come up in our lives, they force us to dig deep, uh, drop false conditioning embedded on us from society and consumerist propaganda is part of this, scarcity propaganda. Uh, dig deep into our unconscious, tap into the collective unconscious, uh, become the hero of our lives and come back and serve others, right? Every time you buy into scarcity, you're choosing to return to the Shire. You're, you're choosing to go back into Tatooine and not be a hero anymore because a hero can't possibly stay in scarcity. Right, the hero, uh, no hero in any hero's journey tale has chosen to be selfish and fearful of the future rather than trusting. In fact, many hero's decisions, like those breaking points where he crosses the threshold, the first threshold or the third threshold, he's choosing to uh, do something trusting the future, right? He's, he's sticking with his guns. Um, what he, he truly believes is right because deep down in all of it, this is my one spiritual thing I'll pop in here, Underneath all of the fears of our ego, our, our unconscious knows that everything is okay, which I know is a hard thing to swallow if your reality right now is like, fuck, like I have bill collectors, I'm in debt, uh, women don't respect me, everyone's shitting on me. It's a hard thing to buy, right? Uh, it's hard to, to accept. But deep down, your unconscious knows, I, I would argue. Your unconscious knows that everything is actually okay. So every time you act in fear of the future, you're actually buying into a false veneer on reality as opposed to really buying into this with your actions, right? It's not law of attraction, like I'm just gonna sit here on my meditation cushion and believe that checks are coming into the mail. No, it's like with your actual actions, I'm acting as if I have enough, which can mean uh, giving to people who need. It can mean I'm not gonna do the aggressive thing just as the opportunity for sex because I know that women will find me attractive and the right woman for me. I'm not gonna take a rejection personally. Um, I'm gonna do the things that are in in accordance with the reality of abundance. Like that's the, that's like the what would Jesus do thing. Like what would a fully real, um, abundant reality have me do? If you really trust in the future, you don't have to cut corners, you don't have to cheat people, you can be generous. Um, yeah, so you're, you're basically buying a certain reality for X percentage of income or X percentage of effort. And the result of this, again, going back to our compulsive behavior, going back to male anxiety, or really anxiety for people, you are buying your way out of isolation and buying a connection to the collective. Because when we talk about the hero's journey again, what is the result? Always, always the result of the hero's journey. And actually the difference between the hero's journey and the anti-hero's journey is that in that moment of, do I do this for myself selfishly and protect my, my whatever, my pile of gold? Or do I do this for other people? That is what defines a hero versus anti-hero. So like in Breaking Bad, which is a great, uh, great, uh, parable for male psychology, uh, specifically male psychology, I think. Uh, Walter White starts a hero's journey. 
it becomes an anti-hero's journey because in that critical moment where he can start to give back to the community, he decides, no, I'm going to hoard everything. And at a certain point, I think like in season two or season three, it stops becoming about um, uh, securing his family's future. Actually, I think someone actually says that. I forget if it's Jesse or his wife says to Walter White, um, you already have more than enough to take care of your family. And he's like, it's not about that. It's like he wants to dominate the drug market of the world. And that's where he becomes the anti-hero. And obviously ends up getting, you know, spoiler alert, it doesn't end well for Walter White because he made that decision. If he made that decision, like, I'm going to stop here, I'm going to start a charity, I'm just going to live happily with my family, he could have lived the rest of his life very happily. Okay, so um, maybe I'll talk about game theory at the end, uh, but I'm going to give you guys a challenge. Right? I've been talking about this abundance model thing. If you live in scarcity with money, I challenge you today... It'll only take you a couple minutes. Go on your online banking, open up a separate checking account or savings account, label it abundance or the magic fund or something. If you have a checking account like on Charles Schwab where it like calculates a personal value, make sure that this account does not contribute to your personal value, right? This is, this is not your money anymore. And make a commitment for the next month or period of time. I'm not even going to tell you how long. Let's, I think a month is good, two weeks works, a fortnight. Um, commit a certain percentage of your income to go into this. So if you get a salary, it's very easy. Create an auto debit, so you get paid on Fridays. Ten uh, percent goes into this account, and I'm not. Don't do anything else, right? When that account gets to a certain amount where you can uh, do something with it, significant. And I, I think the easiest thing is to anonymously buy someone's dinner. It feels really good. It's very simple to do. It'll make you feel good, right? You'll be in cahoots with the the restaurant people. Um, so you have like a you know enough to buy a, a person's meal anonymously. Go try it, right? I mean, if you get to that point where you've amassed, let's say, $200 in this account and you could, you could spend on other people and like, you really, really are like, no, but I got rent due, uh, I need this thing, and you really are honest with yourself, you really need it, it's going to ruin your life if you spend this on other people, then fine, I'm not going to force you to do anything. But I challenge you to just notice in that moment, give yourself the opportunity to know what it's like to live in an abundant reality. Because a lot of people are like, if, if I ask someone like who's in scarcity, why do you want money? Yeah, I mean, they're driven by selfish motivations. And it's like, I just want to make enough money that I can give back. Almost everybody says that. I mean, unless you're really a Scrooge McDuck and you're so afraid of the future that you don't think about giving back, almost every person, I believe, thinks like, oh, when I have a million dollars, I will start a charity or give to people. But what happens in reality, a lot of those same people, if they do make a million dollars, they're like, no, 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 but my expenses have raised. I have like all these kids now, I have these cars, like I can't, I can't do that anymore. I'm telling you now, whatever amount of wealth you have now, start living in the abundance reality now, right? Make that decision that you are going to allocate a percentage, whatever percent, to, to other people. And if, if you have debt, I'm going to give you a different recommendation. But if you don't have any debt, 10%, right? 20%. I'm not going to tell you the percentage. I think 10%, it should be a minimum, right? It should be noticeable. Live on less. It'll actually force you to be good at saving because um, I would say like, when I realize that I can live on way less of my income, not only do I give to charity, I can actually you know, invest in things more. Um, and I, I have these fixed rates that I save and I'll allocate to charity. Or not, I don't even think it was charity. I allocate it to abundance in the world. I mean, mine is called the magic fund in my checking account. Um, allocate to abundance in the world and I'm buying something. I can live on less, which also means I can, I, can, I learned, I can, well, actually, I can, if I can put this amount in the magic fund, I can put this much in my retirement account, I can put this much into Bitcoin. It becomes a lot more fun to play with money when you realize that you don't actually need more. You can actually hack abundance right now. Because, I, I mean, if you have the luxury of watching this or listening to this, 
I'm going to guess that you don't actually need, you're not on the street. I know that. I assume that you're not on the street. Um, you have some ability to have your needs met. Um, okay, so yeah, allocate a percentage of your income. Um, when you have the opportunity to buy someone's dinner anonymously, do that. It's very simple. And then notice how you feel. If you don't feel good, then forget everything I said. You can call me a jerk off and forget about everything. But notice how you feel. Because if you feel the way I think you'll feel, then ask yourself, what is this feeling worth it to me? What is it worth it to me, worth to me to, to live in this reality and have this feeling all the time? And then maybe you'll decide to always, always do this. And I would say, if money is not the thing you're scarce with, because I think most men live in scarcity with uh, attention, validation, energy, um, where actually, I, I mean, a lot of the guys I coach, I don't do a lot of, I don't like, you know, uh, give approach homework a lot to guys, but some guys are in that space. And a lot of guys who have trouble talking to people, they have this embedded idea, this, this scarce mentality embedded into their subconscious that uh, anytime I talk to a woman, I'm taking energy from her. They just believe that because they, they're so drained, perhaps they're so low on oxytocin that they feel that anytime they talk to someone, they're doing them a favor. So obviously, if you have this mentality, it's very hard to talk to women. Right? If you're a decent human being and you have this, this uh, underlying belief that every time you talk to someone, you're draining them of energy, well, shit, you don't want to drain people of energy. You want to stay at home and like, protect yourself from the world, which is a silly idea. But a lot of people have this idea. A lot of guys have this idea. They live in this reality where they're taking from people, not because they want to, but because they need it. But if you, if you flip the script here and you make your point, like I'm not going to go out and try to get numbers. I'm not going to try to, out to like, get validation from women. I'm not going to try to like, earn attraction which is a silly idea, it's not how it works. If you go out, it's like, I'm gonna go out and give people energy. I'm gonna delight people uh, with my presence. And you know, not, not forcing yourself to figure out how, like, I'm gonna f but I'm gonna like, go out with the intention and figure out a way to make people feel better after having met me. Like actually feel better, not feel better because you showered them with compliments to, uh, to, to get validation in return, because that's a covert contract, that's neediness, that actually turns people off. If I'm really gonna go in to give people energy well, obviously I deserve to receive it too, right? If I'm, if I'm giving all these people energy, then of course a beautiful woman should be able to validate me because uh, I'm a source of abundance. Like she can give me good energy because I'm gonna give it back to her and all these other people, right? I'm actually a source of increasing good feelings in other people as opposed to taking, which is just, I mean, I think that's this, the reason why I was so, uh, one of the reasons I was excited to talk about this is that this kind of hacks inner game in as well. Right? Whether it's deservedness with money or deservedness with women, it's, uh, or any, any resource, validation, love, energy, attention, inspiration, right? If you can help other people with their ideas, obviously you're going to have ideas. Um, and that's it. That's my, that's my suggestion. So I'm going to talk about the last little bits because there's some, a couple of troubleshootings, troubleshoots, troubleshots. Um, this is not a justification for an action. So this is not some law of attraction thing where you sit on your ass and you dream about it. There's not, and I don't want you to go into the justification of like, oh, Ruan says I shouldn't do things um, out of fear of the future. I trust that I'm going to meet women. I trust I'm going to make money. So I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do work. I don't have to go out and meet people. Like, no, that's not what I'm saying. Because actually, if you're finding ways to justify not doing the things you know you should do, let's say you're trying to write a book, you know, obviously, to write a book, you need to spend some time writing. Um, but you say like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, uh, I trust the future that's going to happen. You're actually... You're, you're tricking yourself to, tell, to, to buy into scarcity of fear that the inspiration is not going to come, of fear that the connection is not going to come, out of fear that your business venture, your best efforts are not going to eventually um, give you the reward you want. So you're actually choosing not to play the game, which is scarcity living. It's not abundance living. 
Um, and it's also not because uh, the idea attached to this is like it's not that I think by donating money, it magically is going to come to you immediately, right? Or not not that like by being generous with your attention, the next woman you you talk to is going to love you, right? But you are playing pot odds, and I, I'll I'll use this as a poker analogy or anything. You know, if if you ever you know bet on the stock market or or anything where there's probabilities of outcomes but not for sure outcomes. You know, like if you play if you play poker, this idea of pot odds. Um, in a given poker bet, you don't a poker player doesn't necessarily know what the cards are gonna that, that are gonna come out are. It doesn't know what the other person's hand is, but can make bets on uh, based on what I know here. I think there's a 60% chance of me winning this amount of money. There's a 40% chance of me losing this amount. Or there's um, usually in pot odds with poker, it's like uh, there's maybe like a, a 30% chance I get the card I need to win all the pot, and maybe. Um, a sixty, you know, seventy percent chance I lose a small amount. So if you're gonna, um, if there's a thirty percent chance you're gonna win a thousand dollars, and it only costs you ten dollars to bet on it, right? So seventy percent out of ten times you lose your a small amount. Thirty percent of the time you win ten or a hundred times that amount. Obviously, that's a good bet, right? It doesn't take faith, right? If you're making that bet, it's not that you're acting on faith. You're not like magically hoping like. Oh, uh, I, I pray for the card I need to come out. No, you're actually playing the odds. You're playing expected value. If you make that bet every time, maybe you lose your money once in a while, but in the long run, you will make money. And that's the same idea when it comes to this uh, abundant reality when it comes to life, whether you're being generous with attention or money or love or, or inspiration or ideas or support or time, right? You are trusting that it's not that this one action is going to give me feedback, but if I make this action over and over and over again, I know that in the long run it will come back to me in force, right? Um, and yeah, I mean, you can look at this. Uh, you know, Omar Pani, who's my friend, who's been on the podcast a lot. Um, he's Indian, so he believes in a lot of things that I don't believe in. Um, but uh, you know, his idea of karma is not this like magical thing so much. Like to him, karma is law, law is uh, cause and effect in a way that we can't always like just see how the cause and effect happens in in. Um, Except in retrospect, like you can look back and like, oh, like this randomly happened and this randomly happened. That's why I'm here today. Uh, but in the moment, you didn't know those things were going to happen, right? In in retrospect, you can look back and like, well, this caused this, and obviously, right? So with karma, like you can you can string up a series of cause and effect relationships of like, because I was generous to this person, this thing happened and this thing happened, and it eventually came back to me. As opposed to uh, I screwed a bunch of people over and they didn't want to do business with me. That's like an obvious cause and effect thing. You can call it karma if you want. Um, it's the same idea of like. It's not that my one good deed is going to magically make everything better for me, but if I string these together, these kinds of actions are such high expected value in economic terms that it's almost impossible. Unless like I have like this crazy string of bad luck, uh, eventually it's going to come back to me. If you keep making the high expected value bet uh, over the long run, you will have a higher expected value. That's why it's called expected value. Um, I don't think I have to get into the economics. Prisoner's, prisoner's, prisoner's Dilemma, that's what I have tattooed on my arm, is an economic game that I think uh, is like kind of the crux of consumer society. And I think it explains why a lot of people are like quote unquote evil or bad to each other. Um, it's not because people are evil, it's that we are born into situations or systems where um, we are incentivized to act selfishly. So I, I'll, I'll explain Prisoner's Dilemma. Um, the scenario is. You and I rob a bank together. I say we were the two players in the game. The cops catch us. They put us in separate cells. They give us each the option. You either can cooperate, meaning you stay silent, you don't rat each other out, or you can defect on each other, which means you rat each other out. 
Um, and then here's the notation. You can look, look up the notation on Google, look up prisoner's dilemma. And basically, uh, based on what I decide and what you decide depends on our outcome. If we both cooperate, so we both stay silent, we have a medium term sentence, normal sentence. Um, but if I cooperate and you defect, so you rat on me, I do double time and then you get off scot-free. So I get the, the, the sucker's payoff, right? I was good to you, you screwed me over, now I'm screwed. Same thing as vice versa, if I screw you over and uh, I, you wrap me up, or sorry, whatever, you, you get what I'm saying. Um, but what happens is because even though the collectively best outcome is for both of us to stay silent, because there's a selfish incentive, like no matter what you do, I'm a little bit better off if I rat you out, meaning like if you're silent, I could get off scot-free by ratting you out, or if you're ratting me out, um, I better rat you out too so I don't end up doing double time. There's always a selfish incentive to screw each other over. What happens is even though the collective benefit is for us to both cooperate, what's known as the Nash equilibrium is named after John Nash, who is um, uh, Russell Crowe's character in A Beautiful Mind. The Nash equilibrium, um, which is the only stable outcome, is that we both screw each other over. Not because we're bad people, but because no matter what you do, I'm better off screwing each other over because I don't know what you're going to do. You might screw me over, so I better screw you over too. This is how society works, where it's like, in many situations, and I'm not, I'm not like going on a Marxist rant or anything, I think capitalism, capitalism is the most stable outcome, it's a Nash, a Nash equilibrium, however, we don't have to buy into it fully, uh, because we could still force the needle back into the, uh, if you really believe in abundance, we can kind of let someone screw us over once in a while. Um, but anyway, the reason why society is built on isolation and screwing each other over and deception, even dating, like... Very few people will uh, feel good about opening up on a first date or like opening up when they start to fall in love with someone because why? Uh, they have all these experiences where they opened up and the person screwed them over. They got the sucker's payoff. Whereas, my, my point is, if you keep buying into the reality set by the society, whether it's dating or life or money, if you keep buying into that scarcity reality, if you keep uh, going along with society and following the Nash equilibrium, uh, you end up living in isolation and everyone else lives in isolation. Whereas like if, crit I mean, this is my one public service idea. It's like if critical mass of people could decide that part of my income is going to go to benefit other people. Uh, if enough people did that, we would reverse the tragedy of the commons and everyone would have more because you don't actually need enough. It's like we all, I mean, I save for my retirement. You know, I'm, I'm in the fire community as well, like the financial independence retire early. I'm trying to amass a nest egg so I don't have to work. Uh, I'm doing that too, kind of out of necessity. But truly, if I 110% trusted that the, that the communities I live in would take care of me, I wouldn't have to do that. I could just give away all my money. I'm not saying you should do that because we do ha we we live in a matrix of sorts. I mean, a lot of people don't realize like what a matrix is. A matrix is a, is it's like this is a matrix. It's like a um, a table of outcomes. That's what a matrix is. Um, so when we talk about living in the matrix, we're all living in a society where there are all of these games where like these outcomes affect different outcomes. We have to behave a certain way in order to fit in. Like you can't just go around swinging your dick around on the street because the matrix that we live in will lead to an outcome where you end up in jail, right? Not to say that you want to do that, but maybe you do. So that's what the matrix is. This is an opportunity to not fully live in the matrix by not buying into the scarcity game and fighting against the Nash equilibrium. Um, I'll end, I'll end on this note. Okay. Uh, to the crisis of masculinity. And I think this is where I think everything I said applies to people of all genders and persuasions. But part of the crisis of masculinity, I think, comes from that once upon a time in history, testosterone-driven virtues 
were so critical. It wasn't a choice, right? There were barbarians at the gate. There were houses that needed to be built. There were things that needed planning, like masculine virtues were so critical, like they needed it. And I think this is why, you know, whatever patriarchy we live in, it, it came from the fact that a long time ago, thousands of years ago, we needed men in charge for certain situations because like we needed testosterone driven virtues to protect ourselves uh, from certain things, right? The testosterone is what fights against uh, the forces of nature, right? Uh, the forces, uh, the L, I mean, certain physical things, right? The feminine has its own roles. Um, and part of the crisis of masculinity is that because society lives in abundance, uh, materially, not spiritually, but materially, a lot of uh, masculine virtues are not as necessary, or we have to find different avenues for it, right? Uh, most of us don't have to hunt or kill or fight or build. Um, although those are all, I mean, maybe not the killing part, but all like, you know, those activities are so nourishing to most men because they, they, they tap into our primal, uh, primal need to, to do a function physically that benefits other people. And this is an opportunity with, your, with resources, uh, whatever resources, to uh, find a way to benefit other people on a, in a way that really nourishes those starving circuits for, for connection or for uh, meaningfulness or purpose, right? What is a man's purpose? A purpose always has something to do with other people, right? No one's real purpose is ever a selfish agenda. Your hero's journey might start because you live in scarcity. A lot of men get into personal development because they live in scarcity with women. So they try to solve that. They try to fill that cup. Um, if they actually fill that cup, though, you've actually gotten enough validation, enough sex, enough love, enough whatever, that you feel like, oh, actually, I'm good enough. Uh, the next existential crisis is what do I do with myself? So a lot of guys, unfortunately, they, they make the anti-hero's choice of like, well, maybe I just need to sleep with more women. Maybe I just need to hoard more money. If I get become a billionaire, I'll be happy. Of course, that's not the case. Once you've had enough, once you've filled your cup, whether it's through hacking your cup by shrinking it or by pouring it out uh, initially, the only thing that feels good is to choose a bigger problem that doesn't have to do with you. Happiness and success in life is not having no problems. If you have no problems, you're almost always going to have an existential crisis, which is why I think a lot of trust fund kids um, get addicted to drugs. We, we know this, I mean, this is a very common thing. If you go to an AA meeting, there's obviously people of all different walks of life, but there's a lot of, like, you'd be, you'd be surprised at how many really wealthy people are in there. Why? Because they were born without a need to exercise their creativity to solve the most basic human, the basic human need of um, gathering enough for yourself and for your family. Like, they were born with a trust fund. If they don't have that purpose, and if they don't find a purpose that has to do with other people, they feel uh, purposeless. So they create a problem for themselves. They create an addiction. They already feel isolated because they're not giving back. You know, if you're born, if you're born with a trust fund, maybe you don't need to generate income in a way that helps other people because it's just been given to you. Um, so what happens? They create a problem for themselves where they fall into addiction and they have to solve that problem. Right? We, our spirit needs a problem to solve. Otherwise, this 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 lifetime feels meaningless. Um, so by doing this, by practicing the abundance model, you're choosing problems, preemptively choosing problems that will force you to have your needs met and also give you that sense of purpose that benefits other people. Because the best problems are the people, the problems that help other people. And I'll, I'll say for myself, you know, even with this own this podcast, right? Uh, if you've been listening for a while, I'll, I'll just say like in this podcast, there have been times where I've been tempted to make decisions. I, I honestly, I'm not perfect. I've made decisions. So I was like, oh, maybe, maybe this will be marketable, right? Or if I have this guest on, you know, this will get me views. And almost always, I feel shitty after those episodes, right? And it comes back to that same question that I asked in the beginning, 
this episode is what is that experience, that unshakable reality of abundance worth to you? Is it worth doing a thing that'll get you more likes? Is it worth doing a thing that'll get you a little bit more money? Or is it worth sacrificing those things to feel so good that you have that internal momentum? Because the only thing that's sustainable in life is when you have that internal momentum, you end up doing things that's almost impossible to not be met by reality. Because when, when guys are afraid or people are afraid of, of, uh, of failure, it's, it's not that you're afraid that you can't do the thing, it's that you're afraid that you'll do the thing and it won't be met. You'll put your best foot forward and the girl that you liked won't like you. You're, you'll do your best efforts in business and the market won't reward you with money. Uh, you know, anything, right? But if you trust, if you trust the pot odds, right? If you trust the expected value that if you keep uh, doing it, if you have that internal momentum that you're gonna keep doing it, you're gonna keep doing it, you're gonna keep doing the thing that you think is the right thing to the best of your ability, eventually you will be met by reality, which I think is true across the board, uh, then, then you'll, you won't lose momentum. Right? Even, if this, even if my next marketing effort or the next approach of a, of a beautiful woman doesn't work out well, I trust that all right, I did the best thing I knew to do in that moment, I will be met by reality eventually. And that's the best thing you can ever do for yourself, for your own subconscious, for your inner game, if you will. Because, um, I mean, the truth is, I mean, if you look at like any creative work, I'll speak on writing because that's the one that I know. Um, the writing, my writing eight years, or, you know, many years ago, I mean, every year my writing gets better, but if I look back at my writing like eight years ago, I'm embarrassed, right? If I look at some of my videos, I'm so embarrassed that I did that, right? If, if, I, if I believed in, in um, that success or failure was determined by the success of that article or that post back then, I would have quit. And then there have been times I did give up because I was just so feared up. But by trusting and by, by doing things that generate internal momentum or just enough of momentum that I did more and more and more, that's the only way my writing got better, right? If I quit eight years ago, I would have never, I mean, now I'm kind of proud of my ability to write. I would have never developed that competence, right? The competence might not have been there, but that internal momentum is what gave me the competence that allows now external reality to, to validate me, right? This, is, this goes back to the thing that's kind of the moral of so many stories of you have to be internally driven. That internal momentum is worth more than any uh, short-term dollar amount. Um, like in, even in, uh, in, in shows and like even in a Star Wars, for instance, uh, good and evil, this is uh, one of my friends told me this, but I think it's true, good and evil is often shown by whether or not you take the immediately gratifying, gratifying payoff as opposed to the long-term payoff that benefits more people, right? That's the difference between the Jedi and the Sith in Star Wars, right? The, Je the Sith choose the dark side because it gives them more power in the short term, but it's not sustainable, uh, whereas the Jedi are willing to sacrifice short-term power for collective benefit. Of course, they got fucked up by Anakin Skywalker, but then they came back by episode six. So anyway, be a Jedi, not a Sith. You're not going to win more. Um, unless there's any questions, I'm going to close up. Uh, da, da, da. Oh, uh, yeah, so we have, um, what's your name, Victoria Redbar is on the podcast on Thursday. Talking about new paradigm intimacy. Um, if this was interesting to you, especially when it comes to money, Check out theabundancemodel.org. I'm not affiliated with them. You know, there's no, there's no profit to me. Theabundancemodel.org is just a free resource to learn about this idea that came to Matt Cohn. There's also a Facebook group for it. And also, if you're in the Masculine Underground Facebook group uh, and you choose to try this whole thing where you do a selfless act for someone, uh, I would love to hear about it, comment about it. We have some interesting threads going, and I, I like the idea of having a collective challenge. Um, I've been doing this... I actually started doing this again more aggressively in the last month, 
and it's been good for my bank account. It's been good for my life. It's been good for my internal momentum more than the dollar amounts, right? Um, yeah, that's all I got. All right. Adios, folks. Trump.